1: Purple Insider is presented by Liquid Death, delicious water that's bringing death to plastic. Learn more at liquiddeath.com/insider. To another episode of Purple Insider. Matthew Collar here inside TCO Performance Center with Sports Illustrated's Will Reg. It's not to break down a divisional matchup, but it will be just as intense, I hope, our conversation here because we are fresh off of Quesi Adafo Mensa and Kevin O'Connell's end of year press conferences. And I think I want to start with the very first question, Will, where Kwasi Adafalmenza was asked to compare his football team to a stock and uh, <laughs> or the stock market or some sort of metaphor. But, you know, the answer was kind of interesting because, Quasi I, I can read this to you. He says... uh I would say that you have startups and you have long tenured core stocks that have earned money for a long time and they have less growth stocks. And I think we're somewhere in between. So he says in between a complete startup, which I guess would be a rebuilding team and a long time growth stock, which I think is what they wanted to be this year, if I'm following the metaphor correctly, but this sounds very competitive rebuildy again. And he was even asked about directly competitive rebuild. And he sort of qualified this year as being in that category, which I don't really understand. Like the timeline uh, in reality that we look at as versus the way it's being presented by them. I just don't know that those things really matched up in this conversation that we had with Quasey and Kevin versus what it looks like on paper.
0: Yeah, I think any franchise in the NFL will maybe... like They could theoretically use the term competitive rebuild to describe the process of building a team because the goal of every franchise in the NFL is to make moves that will help you win now, but also look to the future. Like, that's just the job of being a GM and building a roster. And there are certainly, there's a spectrum. There are teams like the Chicago Bears currently who are in the full rebuild phase. But this offseason, they're going to do things that will try to make them better next year and also build for the long term. The Kansas City Chiefs are on the complete other end where they are competing for a Super Bowl every year, they're also doing things to sort of sustain that and try to keep the window open for as long as possible. So I mean, the whole competitive rebuild thing that they use, it was an interesting term. I don't think I had heard that exact term before, and we talked about it a lot, but it, it kind of just describes the way you go about being an NFL general manager. And, and it was a good question that he was asked, like, were you more of the competitive side? Because you won 13 games and you made kind of uh, an all-in move to go get TJ Hawkinson. And then quasi basically said, you know, it, it was. I mean, it, it was and it wasn't because the Hawkinson trade was also about getting a young player who we have under contract next season. He seemed to indicate pretty confidently that Hawkinson is somebody they want to have around for a long time, which I don't think is news. I think he could be definitely a, one of the top extension candidates on this roster this offseason. But, yeah, so I, I don't know. I thought that was... Kind of a non-answer, which is maybe the theme of uh, a lot of what this uh, press conference was, which you kind of come to expect when it's the head coach and the general manager of an NFL team, and the season just ended.
1: But the answer about T.J. Hawkinson is interesting from his viewpoint because you're talking about a soon-to-be expensive veteran player, and that is not the type that you would put under the category of being a rebuildy type player. Like, yes, that is a piece for the future but it's an expensive piece. When you talk about rebuild moves, you talk about getting younger and getting cheaper and giving yourself more flexibility for the future. And yeah, I think that there was a lot of non-answering as far as the timeline goes. And he was asked quite a bit about the salary cap space and talked about, well, there's ways to create salary cap space. But man, we've heard that story over and over and over again. And when you're talking about you having to extend and having to void year and whatever your way there, well, there's 15 other teams in the league that have $50 million free already to spend. You're at a pretty big competitive disadvantage. And it was a lot of the stuff that we've heard many times from them of sort of like, well, look, we've got the answers guys. And we heard that from Spielman back in the day. Oh, you guys don't understand we've got all these answers. Um, But I didn't think that we got any concrete answers to almost anything, which leaves you with almost anything could happen. Um, There wasn't really an indication of, yeah, we know we're going to have to step back here, but there was, well, we're going to have to separate how much we love some of these players versus maybe what they can bring in the future, which is a, you know, wink, wink, nod, nod. Yeah. We're going to get rid of some of these old guys. And uh, as far as other answers to how you rebuild the defense, the draft class, all those, th- they all sort of left you not feeling like you really understood where they stand. Um, Quacey Adafo said the expectation is that Kirk cousins will be our quarterback next year, but did not say Kirk is absolutely our quarterback franchise guy, sign him up for life. Tattoo Kirk's name on my body. Like there was none of that. It was a one sentence expectation. is Kirk is our quarterback next year. Like, okay. And even with Justin Jefferson, it was, well, we've had some initial dialogue with his agent and there was nothing really more that could be expanded upon as in, is there a timeline for an extension with Justin Jefferson? Does he want that extension right now? Uh, Does he also want to be a Viking for life? And so I think that I left with just as many questions and almost no real answers for how this team views itself. And I think that maybe the best you could do is that if we're talking about whether they're going to really start rebuilding stuff, like really, really, really rebuilding when they talk about, oh, well, championship, 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 I just didn't get a sense. And I could be wrong because these things are harder to read with these guys than they were with Mike and Rick. I just didn't get the sense that they look at it as, oh yeah, like there's going to be major changes and things are going to look very different in the future. It just didn't come across that way. I don't know if you got a different impression.
0: No, it didn't come across that way to me either. And it would be surprising if it did. I think the, the, the facts are, this was a 13 win football team. It did not necessarily perform like a 13 win football team. If you look at kind of the peripheral and the, the advanced stats and, and what they did on a play to play basis. But this was a 13-win football team. They won the division. They hosted a playoff game. I, I just think you, you heard so much. That you just mentioned this. Like They talked about the next step is getting to a championship standard, and everything they do is going to be about getting a championship standard. And Kweisi said, we don't want to feel this feeling this early uh, ever again, which good luck with that. You're not getting to the divisional round every single year unless you uh, find like a Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen type quarterback. But, every, yeah, everything they said, I would be surprised – if this was suddenly going to be a big pivot into some sort of actual rebuild where like i just i just think we're in for another off season of kind of straddling the middle and and being in limbo a little bit and making decisions that are going to kind of keep one hand in both buckets and and like it's obvious that just from a financial standpoint they have to get rid of some expensive veterans like there are going to be some big name long-tenured Vikings players who are not going to be on the team next year because that's the reality of the financial situation. Adam Thielen and Harrison Smith have 19 million cap hits next year. Adam Thielen especially but Harrison Smith as well. Like they're not worth that at this point. They just didn't produce at that level last year. That's just a fact. Like so so that is going to be those are going to be conversations. Dalvin Cook um, Eric Kendricks. There are a lot of guys where some of those guys are might be back, with whether it's extension, restructure, whatever, something that creates kind of immediate space. But some of them aren't going to be back because you just can't kind of hold on to the remnants of a previous era forever. You have to usher in this new kind of generation. And that's where it's interesting because you would like to have seen from their perspective more evidence of this next wave. And due to maybe some questionable draft decisions and just some bad luck with injuries, you didn't really see that. And he was asked, like, can you count on Lewis scene was coming off a compound leg fracture? Can you count on a Caleb Evans who had three concussions this year? And that's where it gets tricky because you just, you just haven't seen them. Like Brian Asamoah got some good reps late in the season. There, there are some pieces like that, but you didn't see that much. And they're going into this draft where they're going to only have like five picks. And so they might need to create some more that way. They traded the second for for Hawkinson. And it's just it's going to be another kind of fascinating offseason to see what transpires and do they do whatever they can after they clear salary cap space to just kind of load up and go for it again. And I, I think if Kirk Cousins and Justin Jefferson and, and TJ Hawkinson and all these people are around, that's what they're going to do. Um, but is it going to be good enough and that's kind of the age old question the the ongoing question is it going to be good enough to where it's worth it to keep kind of being this middling team that maybe could maybe could play at a very similar level next year and go 10 and 7 or 9 and 8 even because you're not going to go 11 and 0 in one score game so yeah i'm just i'm very curious to see what the approach is And curious to see as well who who's going to be calling the defensive plays next year. But that's a slightly different conversation.
1: Yeah. um, So as we record this, you know, there was a non answer about the defensive coordinator. Uh, We assume that there would be. Uh, Usually teams don't come to their end of year press conference and announce coaches are fired. They love to do it in the much more gutsy way of leaking it to Ian Rappaport. Um, but uh, that's neither here nor there. Uh, we'll see what happens with Ed Donatel. But um, what was your response to the uh, Kirk Cousins answer? The expectation is that he'll be our quarterback next year. And there was almost nothing else said about Kirk except for, you know, Kevin O'Connell praised his play and said he was good and everything else. And everyone knows that. But the uh, just the Quasi answer on Cousins, your thoughts.
0: Yeah, I just didn't. I didn't get a lot. I I think I've heard him say that exact line like four or five times last offseason when we were in kind of the similar – I mean, it was – he hadn't had a season yet, so it was Quasi's first few times talking to us, and he just said, yeah, expectation is Kirk Cousins will be our quarterback, and then he he was, and they extended him, and I think that worked out in the sense that Kirk took some strides, and and after kind of a slow start in this offense, like – did some different things under Kevin O'Connell and, and was really good late in games, really tough, really durable. You know, you're going to get that. But so it, it, it's, it's just, you, you're kind of back at square one. Like we're back where we were last year. He's under contract for one more year. Maybe they'll, are they just going to keep doing like one year extension? Like at some point you might have to make a decision. I, I don't know. I didn't really get much out of, out of that answer. My expectation as his Quaysies apparently is that Kirk Cousins will be the Vikings quarterback next year. But it wouldn't shock me if one of these years he goes in as in it's a, and it's a contract year, and I don't know how they want to manage that because then then you risk losing an asset for for nothing at the end of the year. But I, I don't know if they're going to trade it. There's just there's so many possibilities. But I think he'll be the quarterback this year. Yeah,
1: is that something that you want? Is a lame duck quarterback?
0: I don't know. I don't think so.
1: I don't think so either. <laughs> I think you kind of. But do you want
0: to extend him for four more years and and commit yourself to that either? I don't know.
1: People are going to get tired of me saying this, and I could just be completely off base here. But I don't know why, if you're from Kirk Cousins' side, you're okay with playing on a one-year extension beyond this. And every year, it's year to year when you just did what you did, and and you could take all those words from Kevin O'Connell that he said and just be like, well, if this is how you feel about me. Why is it that we're doing year to year? I understood why you wanted to do a short extension when you guys were new, but now you know me and I want a bunch of games for you. Right. So if, if I'm on his side, I'm saying I'm either playing this out and um, you know, look, I'm not taking as many hits as I did last year. Right. I mean, he gave it as all this year. He mm-hmm. gave as much as he had, but if I'm him next year, Uh, I'm throwing it before anybody gets there and hits me. I'm just like, just the reality. That's why you don't want guys playing on that type of deal. You want them to be happy with where they are and give everything they've got, but it's just natural to try to protect your neck a little bit more when, you know, you're on a, on a one year uh, contract being left. So maybe he does, maybe they put cash on the table and he just says, okay, that's, That's going to work for me. But I don't know, like to me, this suddenly swung to the other side of things where the leverage went from on the team side where they were like, we could trade you if we want to, to all the way back to his, especially knowing the market for quarterbacks. So when he says my expectation is he's the quarterback to me, that leaves the door open for we're not really a hundred percent sure even how Kirk is going to feel about signing an extension with this team.
0: Yeah, and no, I agree. Kirk Cousins, the evidence was there that he played well. I think the wins are the the big thing you can point to because that's not something he had previously. He was always straddling around being five hundred, and I think he went like ten and five in twenty nineteen, and that was kind of his best season in terms of team wins. And now you come on, you win thirteen games, and you you take all the hits that he did, and, and play as well as he did, and kind of overcome some of the offensive line things and, and the just an abysmal defense that was on the opposite side, which does not make it easy on an offense at all. And, and yeah, you could, you could say that like he has the leverage here. So it's, it is a really, really interesting spot that the Vikings are in because I think Kirk Cousins played well enough this year that you could say, all right, he's our quarterback. Like let's, let's move forward with him as our quarterback for the next three, four years. And And the pairing with Jefferson has been so successful and let's continue to, try to put an interior offensive line in front of him because we know we have the offensive tackles. Let's let's try to get another um receiver that can stretch the field because I don't I don't think Adam Thielen's gonna be here next year, just being honest. And and you've got Osborne and some other guys. You got TJ Hawkinson as well. Like you have the two kind of key pass catching pieces right there in addition to the tackles, but it all costs a lot of money. And Kirk Cousins costs a lot of money and there's no indication or there's no reason why he's suddenly going to start costing less. Because he is going to maximize his earnings like any NFL player should. And Justin Jefferson is going to cost a lot of money. And he still has kind of the one more year on the rookie contract and the fifth year option and and the ways you can kind of maybe backload things. But that's going to start taking up a big chunk of your salary cap. TJ Hawkinson, if you're going to extend him. He has an argument as like the second or third best tight end in the league. He's gonna want to make a lot of money. He's young too. He just played extremely well for you over the final ten games of the season or whatever it was. Christian Dara this is a few years down the line, it's gonna cost a lot of money. Brian O'Neill already cost a lot of money. Like, how do you afford all of this and also start to rebuild your defense and bring in the free agents that you probably need at basically every level of the defense? And so that's why I think the the reality is a lot of the expensive veterans just can't be around anymore from a math uh, equation perspective. And and Quacey knows that. And he's not going to come out and say, name any names or, or say anything concrete at a press conference like this. But, yeah, it's... It is all just the, the pieces and everything are, are really fascinating. And that's why I was I was I'm sad we're not talking about a divisional round game, but it is always fun to kind of dive into the offseason stuff.
1: Folks, maybe you've noticed people in your office with what looks like an open tall boy at their desk in the morning at work. Well It's not a beer. It's more likely it's a can of liquid death, which sounds pretty crazy at first, but it's simply mountain water from the Alps. It's called liquid death because it will murder your thirst and kill plastic pollution, which does seem aggressive, but that's their mission. And they are donating 10% of profits to help reduce plastic pollution. The problem is that plastic water bottles often aren't recyclable because they're not profitable to recycle whereas aluminum cans can be turned into profit. Liquid Death sent me some cases and their water and their sparkling lime are both delicious. And maybe I'll have to start pounding them in front of my friends who know I'm not a drinker just to see their reaction. So go get Liquid Death at your local Target, Whole Foods Market or Hy-Vee or find a Liquid Death retailer near you with their store locator tool at liquiddeath.com insider. That's liquiddeath.com insider. And I have a follow-up on what you just said uh, regarding um, like the age of the players and something that Quasey said, but I have to take a little bit of a detour okay. and talk about something that is very awkward for me. and I don't really like diving into this, but Adam Thielen's wife posting on Instagram that he might want something else with more opportunities. After ranking in the top 30 in targets, by the way, in the league, is notable. I mean, because I think I would have bet a lot that Thielen was going to be back next year looking at his contract. It's not super beneficial for them in terms of dead cap versus how much cap space you create. The trade market will not be high for a 30-plus-year-old guy who averages 10 yards per catch. Um, there's a lot of receivers in the league who, if you put them in the right spots, give a man coverage all the time, are going to average 10 yards a catch. And in a pass-happy offense, catch a lot of balls um but i mean was that a trade demand was that like an inadvertent trade demand or like because that's the way it looks. That's the way it looks is posting that on Instagram is basically like a goodbye, Minnesota. I'm tired of Justin Jefferson getting all the targets that just looks that way. And I don't want to say that and say that his wife speaks for him. And I'm sure that my wife would overly defend me and everything I do and you know so forth. And so I don't want to like speak for him just because his spouse wanted to see him get the football more often. It was kind of like the Tom Brady, was it Wes Welker, or Julian Edelman, or somebody, one of those, uh, that dropped the ball in the Super Bowl and she was on video like yelling about it. It's like, well, you're always going to defend your person. Mm-hmm. So I get that. And I'm sure that she wanted to see him get the football more often and get a chance to star in some of those big moments that he didn't. But also, if it's a window into his feeling about being second fiddle, Uh, then, I mean, that could be interesting where you're talking about like having to move on from him because he's just not going to be happy with this situation anymore.
0: Yeah, it it is an interesting thing. I I was kind of trying not to read too much into that because of what you said, where it's like the season just ended. There's a lot of emotions. You're always going to defend your your spouse and, and, and various things. I don't think there's really any grounds for Thielen to stand on to be like, Oh, I should have had more yards and targets. Like, he just kind of he just kind of is what he is at this point. He's a possession receiver. He can get open a little bit on certain routes and against certain coverages. And he has great hands. And it just like he I mean he hasn't had a 100 yard game since the middle of 2021. He only has one in the last two seasons. Like he's just not the player he was when he was in his prime in 17 and 18. And, and just the reality is you you're playing with the best wide receiver on the planet. He's gonna be. The focal point. TJ Hawkinson comes in. He's a better pass catcher than Adam Thielen is too. KJ Osborne even was was kind of at at a similar level to Thielen. So yeah, I, I think the contract stuff, there are there are other big veteran contracts that are more straightforward where you cut this guy, you save a lot of cap space, there isn't that much dead money. The Thielen thing, there is a lot of dead money involved, but Sometimes you just got to kind of pay that price. And there's a few guys you could do as like you could designate as a post June 1st. And then you spread the dead money over two years or something like that. There's just all of these these uh, salary cap decisions are going to be interesting. And they're going to be coming soon because you got to clear some space before you can start adding.
1: So Quasey was asked about having very few picks in the draft. And if I want to be just the worst... And I try not to be, I try to limit, (laughs) but I also have this urge to always do that. Yeah. And everyone who listens to the show knows like, don't say it, don't say, and I said it, whoops. Uh, But like if you traded last off season, several of the guys where there were offers on the table, I'm not even saying Hunter because he's really good, but Thielen, Harrison Smith, Eric Hendricks, look at uh, the production from the players that they could have had trade offers for. I'm not saying robust trade offers, but just trade offers and how different the results would have been versus how different the draft capital going into this year would have been. I have a tough time thinking that Smith, Kendricks and Thielen had production that was irreplaceable. I mean, just on paper, it wasn't. And you know, experience culture wise and everything else, veterans locker room. I, I buy into value for those guys, but pure production versus having several more draft picks. I mean, it's kind of something we talked about last year where that's the math that has to be done. And it's kind of got to be done again. Only now the trade value of those guys has sunk. I mean, at the time you could have argued that those guys were pretty valuable. Now it's like, who's giving more than a fifth round pick for a, 32 year old wide receiver. Um, and also, so when Quasey was asked about having few picks, he said, We talked about that in our plans. It was a two year horizon. So last year, I cla- our class, I think, was bigger than normally we would have expected. And I think we've got a lot of young, good, contributing players out there. So I don't think we necessarily have to. When you look at the ages of a lot of the guys, The sort of the back end of our roster, we've got a lot of good, young, talented players. So I don't see that as a limitation to us. Now, I just I just can't help but say, like, how what do you how who what (laughs) like who like what do you who are you talking about? Josh Metellus? Like I like really whom are you talking about when you say it's not a limitation to have draft picks like this?
0: Yeah, it that was an interesting answer. And they drafted 10 players last year and they currently have four picks this year. And you can create more various ways. I think they're going to get a fifth because I think they're going to get a compensatory pick for, like, Tyler Conklin or somebody. Um, so they might have five selections this year. But that 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 basically says to me, your late-round draft picks this year are, like, the guys who we drafted last year. Like, Ty Chandler and Aseseo Tomowo and Vidarian Lowe, Jalen Naylor. Because they're just not going to be able to bring in that many guys Maybe they maybe they'll do better in the the undrafted free agent market, but yeah, I I just it it is gonna be in a lot of ways next year will be like the rookie season for the vast majority of the rookies who were rookies this year. Like next year will essentially be Lewisine's rookie season, and hopefully everything is he's back to kind of who he was before the the leg injury, and it'll be Andrew Booth's rookie season because he was really bad when we saw him, and then he got hurt, which maybe you could have seen coming since he hasn't been healthy since high school, in his own words. Ed Ingram played every snap, so now he has a a big kind of actual year, two. But Brian Asamoah, it'll kind of be his rookie season, and Caleb Evans and all these different guys. So that will kind of help make up for the lack of the, the draft picks this year, but then there's this hole because normally you would expect your rookies next year to be the rookies you just drafted and the guys you had the previous year to start taking leaps and start kind of becoming these important contributors and you're just missing that like second, third, fourth year like generation of talent. And it doesn't help that the previous regime had four third round picks in 2021 and drafted like Chaz Surrat, who I don't know if he's probably on a practice squad somewhere, and Wyatt Davis and Patrick Jones is just kind of looks like a guy, and Kellen Mond, like, three of those guys are probably on practice squad. So that just doesn't help with kind of filling in that area of, of your roster and where it should be, but yeah, I mean, if we put a lie detector test on Quasey and ask him to, to say that sentence again, like, we got a lot of good young talent, I I think it's, it's he's, he's failing that test, because I'm just looking at the roster, and I'm like, I... Uh, who do you mean like James Lynch like he just traded a sixth for Ross Blacklock and then he was inactive the last eight games of the season without being hurt like you know who's a good young player on this team Ryan Wright he had a he had a a great season as a punter but that's not going to make a huge difference and so it's Christian Derrissaw and it's Justin Jefferson and then it's uh, I don't know you're hoping that some guys take big strides next year or that you like go four for four in the draft, five for five in the draft. Next, that's what it's going to take to kind of start to fill in the back end of this roster.
1: Well, and when you look at, too, because we referenced the special teams for why they have these good players that are up and coming, but not many of them are very young or some of them will be gone. Like Troy Dye, for example, never developed as a linebacker. DJ Wanham is who we thought he was when it comes to being a pass rusher.
0: Got Totally. Crushed crushed by yeah. Isaiah Hodgins on the first Saquon Barkley touchdown, by the way.
1: Total non-impact play. Can't just, set an edge. Just yeah. a guy. Uh, let's see. Like, Ole Udo, not a future starter. I'm just looking at guys who are like 25 or who played some role. Blake Brandle, swing tackle. Irv Smith won't be here. Kenny Wongwu. it's very clear that they don't have any interest in using
0: him offensively. Jalen Rager is not a wide receiver, it seems.
1: I think Patrick Jones might have some potential. Yeah. Um, so there's that. Uh, let's see. We have Madison won't be here. Josh Metellus is a good special teamer, but there's not much more. Starting
0: uh, running back Ty Chandler uh,
1: could be right. Could be. Uh, I think I might almost have right.
0: to. Like if you're if you're looking yeah. for an area to save money, let some team like maybe trade Dalvin Cook. Let some team talk themselves into his big name and his previous production and. Hope they don't look at the rush yards over expectation statistic and and do that and or, and because Alexander Madison's probably gonna get a decent deal somewhere else. So then I, I think you can survive if Ty Chandler develops a little bit. You can survive with that being a position where you don't really spend any money.
1: Cam Dantzler lost his job to Duke Shelley, so that's, yeah, that's not, not really a thing. It's not ideal. Ezra Cleveland, uh, I think it's just it is what it is with Ezra Cleveland. Like we've reached the point of. He's been doing this long enough at guard to know that he's going to have some really good weeks and he is one heck of an athlete, but there are some major downsides to his game and he's going to allow a ton of pressure and that's just who he is. Cam Bynum, I thought for a first-year guy trying to play safety was fine, but there's no upside. Like this was not a high draft pick player. This is not a freak athlete. This is not somebody you would project to be like way better in the future.
0: He's kind of just a replacement level starting safety. Like like we saw that we saw that throughout this whole season. Like good dude, but just wasn't too often. Was not in the right positions and was a. Pretty pretty big reason not, yeah. not nearly the only reason There were a lot of reasons Very few people on this defense can say That they did their job at a really high level all year but Cam Bynum did not.
1: So, uh, Asasia Tomolo and Jalen Naylor. I liked the tiny, tiny samples, but those are not people you write in to be starters in the future. And then Ed Ingram and Brian Asamoa, I would say I really liked what I saw from Asamoa, and, uh, Ingram. I was way in over his head this year should not have been the starter. They probably should have just played Chris Reed or Jesse Davis in hindsight and tried to get below average play instead of horrendous play. So we don't really know what's going to happen at right guard there um, in the future with him he'll start yeah. but like is he going to be better or not because every year we talk ourselves into that like oh Bradbury and then Bradbury was finally better just in time to hit free agency yeah. uh, which so often
0: happens I mean the- Asamoah is a starting linebacker next oh, yeah. year. he has to yeah. be just that based on you have so few young players who have flashed in the way that he has and man, Jordan Hicks and Eric Hendricks were running in molasses in that playoff game.
1: Right. And so the point is, like, out of all of the players that we named that are under the age of 25, we came up with one significant starter that we think we're pretty high on as far as, like, replacing the guy that's leaving. Yeah. And the rest, a lot of shrugs. So you're telling me that last year's draft makes up for a lack of draft picks this year, but I don't see it. I don't don't see it. What, you mean Jalen Naylor is going to replace Adam Thielen? Like maybe, but unlikely, right? Um so you need about six positions with one first round draft pick
0: and no second round.
1: <laughs> no second round draft pick. I th- I mean that's a pretty that's a pretty hard argument to make I think for Quincy. And I I mean I d- I don't know that and this is not a criticism of his answer because I don't know how it would be said differently mm-hmm. other than like, "Oh guys, it's a problem." <laughs> I mean, right? I mean, yeah. We that, are I
0: mean, screwed. <laughs>
1: Did you guys see Vidarian Lowe? Huh? Right? I mean, just yeah, there's nothing you can really say there. But I think that when you go through it like that and then read the answer, like I don't I don't really see it. And uh, so I I guess I really think that it probably comes down to one of the things Kevin O'Connell says all the time is we have to be honest with ourselves. Will they be honest with themselves?
0: You asking me. I'm asking you. Or is it a rhetorical question for, for all well, the it, listeners it is, out there? Yeah. It's
1: like uh one of those that leaves the audience thinking.
0: Yeah. That's good. That's But well, you can answer. I will answer. Um no, they probably aren't gonna be that honest with themselves. I mean, I think they will in some regards. And I do think as of recording this, Ed Donatel is still the defensive coordinator. I think that it is a the odds are greater that he that will not be the case Then it's a better than fifty percent chance just because I don't I don't know how you rash rationalize the coaching performance that you saw this year and yes it was personnel as well but just the complete lack of adjustments and the, the 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 whole thing where everyone says the definition of insanity doing the same thing over and over like that's what they were doing they were doing the same thing over and over again and then expecting different results and I mean it was just pretty incredible that he offered up the Oh, this is our time to shine, baby. Playoff football. I think you're going to like the way we play. And then had one of the worst performances all season. Like, it is so ridiculous that they had this happen to them twice against the Giants. You know, I was looking at Daniel Jones' passing stats, and I'm going off topic here. But he threw for over 300 yards three times this season. Two of them were against the Vikings. His next closest, his next highest passing performance was 228. He was held below 200 passing yards ten times this season he he wasn't a good passer all year and then maybe got a little better throughout the year but then he played the Vikings twice and he looked like freaking Josh Allen so i don't know how you can keep Donatel even if you try to say it, there was a lot of personnel stuff was involved too so i think they'll be honest with themselves about some things but yeah if they were really really honest with themselves i think there's an argument to be made that they should lean more into the rebuild side of it and try to just kind of build from the ground up and have a more I don't know it's it's tough because then I can counter that easily as well and say if you do that well Justin Jefferson's gone and now you just you fumbled that and you lost one of the best receivers ever and so that's not you don't want that to happen either like that that's a whole part of the equation as well and in fairness the salary cap it looks rough right now but once they sort of cut off some of the the dead weight that's kind of a rude term to use not dead weight but some of the some of the pieces that you can't really keep around you start to trim trim that up a little bit it's it, it doesn't look as bad when you look into like 2024 or 2025 they don't have as much kind of on the books right now and now you're going to have some extensions soon that will that will fill those in but i, I think it's a semi manageable long term salary cap situation so that that to me is why it's interesting cuz i can i can make a case to kind of go either way
1: I was just looking at um, the answer when Kevin O'Connell was asked about uh, the defensive side of things and I'm sorry if this is taking us off topic from your answer about being honest with themselves but uh, but it's related he says statistically the standard we fell below that we hoped to be that's how Kevin O'Connell talks by the way yeah Uh, both schematically and our performance on the field so I think it's very very important we look at it from a standpoint of the why why did it happen what were the contributing factors that were both in our control and out of our control I don't know what was out of their control for the defense I, I don't know what that could be they had no bad luck this year on defense Um With health, like if you said, oh, uh, we got a bunch of guys hurt. Well, that's totally fair, but that's not what happened. And it says... We need to make sure that we're facing it head-on from an accountability standpoint. Well, if they keep Donatel, that won't be facing it head-on from an <laughs> accountability standpoint. But these word salads are, are very like difficult to try to figure out what is actually going on here because he mentions schematically, and they're looking at it as the why. Well, we've all got the why. It's both. You don't finish 31st in yards without both bad players and bad scheme. Like It really has to come together. Uh, It was almost magical to be that bad, as you mentioned, like against Daniel Jones. So there is this like there's this we got to be honest with ourselves and we got to look at everything and everyone's got to be accountable. But then there's not the feeling that anyone was accountable this year. And I don't know that that means fire at Donatel, but there was never even commentary of just like this is not good enough. It was sort of like, well, you know, we're pretty happy with a few interceptions at the end of the games and things like that. Like, I don't know. Do I want him to come to the podium like Zimmer and roast somebody? Probably not. But where was, who got benched? Like, I guess Cam Danzler, but he was also hurt toward the end of the year as well. I mean, who who got benched? Who got fired? Who had the responsibilities taken away? Who had to pay for you being horrible all year? Yeah. Anyone? Like, so, I mean, yes, when they fired Donatel, which I'm sure they might by the time you're listening to this podcast, uh, I guess that's it. And I guess the players that they change out are it. But if you're going to be honest with yourself, you also have to do it on the fly in the season to not have it cost you your year. And maybe the lack of that accountability was part of the reason that they ended up where they were. So am I confident that they'll be honest with themselves? Not really, because I'm not sure they ever have been since they got here.
0: Yeah. That's the most, I think maddening thing is that like you could have fired at Donatel. You could have read the tea leaves, And fired him midseason and gotten somebody else the keys to call in the defense. Or, I mean, you probably not bring somebody else in from the outside, but you probably Mike Patton, Mike Patton. Yeah, it would probably have been the guy. And maybe you say, All right, if we keep playing like this, our season's gonna end in in the first round. Or we just, this, this way we're operating defensively, there's no upside to it. And it's not like players are gonna grow into their roles and suddenly start. Performing it better? No, you're not passing off simple responsibilities on the back end. You're giving up acres and acres of space on simple crossing routes. You're not setting edges against the run. Like it just all these all these basic things. So they could have. Obviously, it's easy to say in hindsight, but they could have done something like that and made some sort of significant changes. And, and they adjusted a little bit and they played a little bit more man coverage and brought a little bit more pressure. But it wasn't nearly enough. They didn't. They weren't comfortable making a big switch and, and changing things up. And maybe if they had done that, they would have given themselves a better chance to to beat the Giants. So that that to me is – it feels like a missed opportunity in a lot of ways when Kirk Cousins played as well as he did. And you got a all-time season from Justin Jefferson, and you had a lot of good things happening. But the defense was just such a kind of weight dragging everything else down. And you're right. So there has to be accountability for that. There has to be change made. And uh, no, hearing from Kevin O'Connell, he's not going to say a whole lot, and it's a lot of rambling, but you could tell kind of throughout the season he was annoyed by the defense, and he, he was not he was not happy. He was not satisfied with anything that was happening there. So I think there will be change. It's a question of how soon and, and how much, but there this defense is not going to look the same next year. There's just no way.
1: And I know everything is easier said than done. But nothing really was done. I mean, they clearly increased the blitzing in the second half. I, I mapped that out, charted it, um, and that was really it, though, because my thing was, and I know it's more intricate than everybody, think, whatever, the same routes were open and the same passes all season long. I think that's the biggest thing is that in that game against the Giants, it was the same routes. It was like, how did you not resolve this? I remember one time in 2018, where they got roasted in uh, Los Angeles yeah, and it was this leak route. That was kind of the problem is Cooper cup, huge play. And it was something that teams had just kind of started doing one of those McVay genius things. And so it's where the guy kind of pretends he's going underneath and then just takes off. And mm-hmm. it's a, it's a really like cool thing when you see it happen. And, uh, after that every team tried it against the Vikings and no one succeeded with it the rest of the year and I know that's players but I also know that where Zimmer was very very strong and I think we can use him as the standard to have this conversation a little bit because he was a tremendous defensive mind that his adjustments on defense were always happening and even last year where you could criticize some of them at least they were happening like they started getting super aggressive blitzing all the time when that was never Mike Zimmer's thing because he knew that was the only way to get pressure and they had 50 sacks or something Mm -hmm. last year because he knew it was going to have to be boom or bust on the defense this defense just kept doing the same things and there was no accountability that we could put our hands on at all and look if they had benched jordan hicks for brian asamoa maybe that's some accountability but they didn't do that either so i don't really know how to expect that they're going to make i mean donatel we'll see but like uh, the the changes that they need to make when they're hard, I don't know like can can these guys be ruthless? I'm not sure that they have shown that yet uh, but I want to ask you this as we wrap this up since we just got done talking to them um what would you grade Quacy and Kevin O'Connell for their first years as head coach and GM?
0: It's a good question. I think I would give Quay, A B, and I don't know I don't know if that that feels high or if that feels low I'll go with a B because I think he came in and him uh, in just in general along with Kevin they did some good things to kind of fix what had kind of soured in the building and I guess a lot of that is more on Kevin's side but Kwesi deserves credit for that as well and and the staff he assembled and, and things like that the draft did not go well And there's some stuff that was unlucky with injuries. There's some stuff from a process standpoint that you can really question because you were sitting with the 12th overall pick, which if you plan to be a good team, like they were this year, they won a lot of games, you don't get the 12th overall pick that often. So they could have sat right there and taken somebody like Kyle Hamilton, who had a really good year with the Baltimore Ravens. They could have taken somebody like Jameson Williams, who was, was the whole injury thing, but showed some flashes caught his only pass and only touchdown of the season against the Vikings like he's going to be really fast and and he's looks like he's going to be good if he can stay healthy you could have sat there and taken Jordan Davis or just any number of people at that point to trade back it just that far i don't know there's there's questions with with the process of that coming out of the draft i thought he ended up doing an okay job because they They managed to get seen and then they moved back up and get Booth. And he made so many trades. And I think the value of it, it all looked pretty good on paper. It it didn't really work out from a year one standpoint. The free agency stuff, I think you get Patrick Peterson back, and that worked extremely well. I think Harrison Phillips was a nice addition. Jordan Hicks, eh, I, I don't know. Um, oh, but, you know. Yeah, well, you it, know. it wasn't great. We respect great.
1: Jordan Hicks, but you know.
0: It wasn't great. It wasn't great. And, and
1: Harrison Phillips is another one, by the way, where you're like, was that necessary? I like Harrison yeah. Phillips a lot. I think he's a good player. Kyrus Tonga did the same thing for them.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. Um, and I think that I think Dalvin Tomlinson is not going to be back next year because he's a free agent. And I think Kyrus Tonga can can be somewhat similar um I think the thing that really say I don't I don't think it would have been a B without the TJ Hawkinson trade yeah because that was one of the best moves any team made in season I think Christian McCaffrey with the 49ers is up there but that worked out extremely well the cost you paid was reasonable for a young extremely extremely good player who just looks like the best tight end the Vikings have had like Since Steve Jordan, like he's just a very, very talented player who is going to be, I think, a big piece of this offense for a long time. So I think that there's a long edge. I think that that's what gets him to a B. I'll give Kevin an A minus. I think it's hard to come in as a first year head coach and go 13 and four and do everything that you did to like when you talk to players and they talk about like we're we're loving coming into work every day. That's not just. Like a some BS answer. Like I, there was some real truth to that and, and kind of the leadership of O'Connell and, and the coaching. And, and so I'm going to hold them to a higher standard next season and in the, f- in the future because this is what they've done so far. But I think for a year one to come in and win 13 games and, and kind of set the foundation that they set, um, I'll give them an A- for that.
1: Uh, the Quasi one is hard for me because I think we have to try to parse out what was in his control. So was it, is, was it in his control when I mentioned bringing back certain guys that had trade value but they weren't traded? Did he want to trade them and was told not to trade them, for example? And I think there's a very realistic possibility that that was the case. And so I don't think that bringing back – well, and Mark Wilf told us. I asked him uh, before the season like about his control of the overall direction, and he said well, he had a huge hand in it. So he was honest about that, and I appreciate that. And so that, to me, takes a little bit of, well, hey, this veteran didn't work out. That veteran didn't work out that you were already uh, inheriting. Well, that's not really Quasi's fault. So when I say that they didn't trade those guys and could have and now it would look different, that's more of just hindsight, but also like not a critique of the GM who was pretty much forced to keep them. I think that um, Kirk Cousins' contract extension was as good as they could do, considering that also the owners seem to want to keep Cousins and run this back with a coach that actually liked him. <laughs> uh, and, I, and I get that, and I think they've signed the extension that was least constricting to their future, but it also pushed the decision once again to now. But at least they could give themselves a, a year and whatever, and if they had... I don't know if they had drafted Malik Willis, they would have lost every game or what. I don't know. I don't know. Like, whatever. I get why they did that and that fit with their overall ideal for the direction. So that's another thing that they were in control of how long they wanted to lock themselves in and they chose shorter, which I think was a good move. Uh, you went over the draft. There's no argument that it was good. There's just no, argue. out of 32 teams, it might be 32nd. Just the reality of how they performed this year. Uh, we'll see how it goes in the future. That's an incomplete, but I think we've already got enough evidence to say that that wasn't great. Drafting can also be pretty weird and random, but it hasn't worked out. The process was pretty questionable, as you mentioned. So there's some demerits there. Uh, as far as picking veteran players to fill out your roster because you were forced to, Okay, I just don't understand why the guard position was not valuable. You could have asked any one of us in the media room. Knock, knock. Do you think we need better guards? Maybe a veteran? Yes. Anyone, any Vikings fan go to Hopkins, Minnesota, knock on an old lady's door and say, "Uh, ma'am. Uh, Margaret, what do you think of our uh, right guard situation? Should we fill it with a rookie? No. <laughs> Get a veteran player to protect Kirk Cousins. My gosh. So there were some clear things that maybe didn't understand the impact. Uh, there were some naive things, I think, with the draft, that it was a little galaxy brain, a little we got to trade down no matter what. So I guess I would say it's probably, probably a B- minus for me or a C plus. Okay. And now the real challenge begins. But a lot of this, though, and it, should, it just should continue to be said, was caused by the Spielman era. So where you are right now is so much caused by that. And you kicked it down the road a little more, but it's all the same bad drafts, bad contract decisions and so forth that put them in this position. As far as O'Connell goes, that one's hard for me, too, because it's like 13 wins. You just can't tell a coach who had 13 wins regardless of point differential or anything else that you did anything less than a great job Mm -hmm. uh but what we talked about with the defense now that you wear the head coach hat you get both you don't get to just be the offense guy we're gonna hold the same standard as zimmer and if zimmer had a horrible offense and a great defense we criticize the heck out of him so i think he deserves the same critique like that it's all yours it's all yours. You can't just point to Donatel because you're the guy who is in control of the whole organization. So I guess I go a B. I think the culture stuff was tremendous for everybody. It also helped that they won a lot. Um, you know, I, I I think that he's a smart offensive mind that maybe overthinks it sometimes.
0: Um, the, the the third and short stuff I think is one area where he will really self reflect and be like. Well, first of all, we don't need to do a freaking like throwback pass to Kirk Cousins because what are what are you even doing there? But just there was a little bit too much of getting cute on third and short, and I think I think with the success he showed in in the low red zone, like that that's a reason for optimism that he will figure out kind of the third and short stuff. So yeah, there was that. I think the like from a game management perspective, like timeouts and stuff, it wasn't necessarily really good or really bad. I think Agreed. he was I think yep. he was fine at it. Which shows that there's probably room to, to become good at it, or, or maybe there's room to, f- to fall off and be worse. But yeah, I, I the reason I gave Qu- uh, Kevin an A minus is because of like the year one as a head coach thing is, is tough. Like even if there was already some talent on this roster, which there was to come in and take a team that won eight games and win 13 games, it's hard for me to give anything less than an A minus. Now, next year, the standard gets higher. Because yep, yep. this is year two of your tenure as the head coach and the guy who runs everything. And so if you don't make some really tough decisions there's tough but necessary decisions, especially on the defensive side of the ball, and they come out and the, and the defense isn't good next year, that's on you.
1: I agree. And, I agree. And your
0: grade will be lower next year.
1: But that's what's going to be hard is to grade him next year when the landscape is different. Yeah. Right? I mean, the... Everything is going to be different with this team. But I agree that on the defensive side, somehow they have to show progress. So I, I would give it a B only because of that, that you have to own both sides. You have to own how it ended. We can't put that aside that, you know, a side of the ball that you never fixed in any way was its worst in the biggest moment. And the defense, or I'm sorry, the offense had enough failures and enough little goofy play calls, a couple of screens at a weird time, you know, things like that that you get you get some demerits for that that doesn't mean that like i think they found their coach i really do i mm-hmm. i do wonder though about like the play calling and being the head coach and how hard that is that's very hard and i it has to be better next year i think the game management was very average if not below average at times sometimes you know sometimes they'd have a 4th and 1 and throw a 20 yard pass you know yeah. they like there was little moments like that sometimes against New Orleans or against Green Bay, you're kicking a 20yard field goal and you're like, I don't know like what's really happening here. So there's experience to be had for him and I think he can improve that grade, but you know some other guys Nate Hackett or something or Matt Patricia, you just like an F immediately and this yeah. is over. So I think they've found their coach. I think they have the right human being to lead their organization but there's improvements to be made for sure and it's going to be hard to judge them because i think the roster is going to be in a in a transitional period
0: so. yeah no it, it's a good point on being the head coach and all that goes into that managing all these different things and then calling all the offensive plays like i don't know if people have an understanding for how like difficult and and kind of time intensive and stressful and 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 everything that that takes so Maybe there's a world where Wes Phillips calls plays at some point, but probably not. I because don't see it. When you're, yeah, probably not. When you're an offensive guru, an offensive mind, like you take a lot of pride in that and, and being in control of it. So th- you're right. That's probably not going to happen. But they, they need to find ways to be more consistent offensively because so many times we saw all year. I mean, it, it happened. It was perfect. It happened in the playoff game. They got the ball first, they marched down. It was beautiful. Justin Jefferson was involved, they scored a touchdown. And then it's just like after the opening script, they're just they they're a step slow to make the necessary adjustments and stay ahead of things, and they would go in these lulls, and teams would late in the season, not not all season because he had 1,800 yards, but late in the season teams would, would find ways to take Jefferson away, and they wouldn't really have counters for that to the extent that there are counters when you're double and tripling a guy. But yeah, they need to find ways to be a little more consistent offensively on a, on a drive-to-drive basis. And then blow up the whole defense and and do something new there. And, yeah, next season will be be interesting.
1: Very fascinating stuff. This organization is in a challenging spot, but a spot that gives them a ton of options for us to talk about and discuss and see what they do. So, Will, thank you for your contributions all year long for the game breakdowns. I'm sorry we didn't have one now. And that we weren't headed out to San Francisco to talk about that game and break down how – Nick Bosa was going to sack Kirk 50 times and so forth. I think but. the
0: consolation for Vikings fans is if you're realistic with yourself, you knew what would happen in that game.
1: I mean, if the Giants got all those yards off crossing routes, yeah, there could have been some records set. So uh, <laughs> anyway, well, thank you for for all the game breakdowns. They were great. We'll continue to talk through the off season and uh, analyze everything that comes our way and, of course, uh, get uh, to the fans only things i want to do more of those podcasts during the week it could be kind of challenging to get to them but people have so many great questions so more of those coming brad spielberger for pff later in the week to break down their cap situation and uh we are off and running on the off season now kind of officially like this is the last thing it's locker clean out and then this and then it kind of goes gonna, dark
0: we're not going to be back here at the at tco until draft maybe or maybe free yeah. agency but no
1: yeah well it, when they sign someone yeah, yeah.
0: they like they they we came here to talk to Zedarius right. last year or something right. like that. But
1: And the Combine as well. So. Yeah. But we will uh, be here breaking it all down. So thank you, everyone, for listening as always. Football. Football.